0: Hello welcome to the Thursday afternoon edition of Bill Allen's Facebook class. I'm glad you have found me if you're watching live. It's three o'clock on a Thursday afternoon central time the last week before we get to central daylight time. Don't forget to move your clocks forward one hour Saturday night my least favorite Sunday of the year. (laughs) The Sunday after we lose an hour of sleep the night before. Of course you only lose it if you don't go to bed at the or if you do go to bed at the regular time. So I'll let you figure all of that out. And however you want to work that will be great with me. Just don't forget uh, to do that so that you'll be on time for Bible class and church Sunday morning. Um, this afternoon we're looking at uh, the 33rd Psalm. It's Psalm 33. Looking at some comments from Timothy Keller's uh, book, uh, Songs of Jesus. Basically a book on the Psalms. Uh, That uh, focuses on that from the perspective of it being the prayer book and song book that Jesus used in the first century That the Jews used uh, throughout uh, their history as uh, those psalms were given Most of them, as you know, from the hand of King David, uh, who lived around 1900 to 1000 BC, somewhere in there um, and, uh, and he uh, wrote a majority of them, but not all of them. Others wrote before, others wrote after. So I'm glad to be able to share some things from Psalm 33, and a brief hello to my friends Eric and Cindy Mosley. Y'all are so faithful in taking part in these studies. I love you guys so much, and also my dear Sister Tia Clark, nice to see you and appreciate you uh, being a part of these studies as well, my dear friend and uh, sister. So looking at um, the 33rd Psalm, it has an interesting quote in it that I think we use a lot, possibly misuse a bit. But before we get to that one, we read the first several verses. Um, Psalm 33 verse 1, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. And my dear sister Tia, uh, you do that as well as anybody. She has a beautiful voice and she uses it to praise our great God and to uh, bring joy to others and what a blessing, what a blessing that is. We just had uh, the group a cappella at our church building this past Friday night and can I just tell you that was a wonderful, amazing experience and uh, we're so blessed. They have one more stop on their tour and that'll end up in Nashville, I think, to either tonight or tomorrow night. And so uh, congratulations to them and thank you so much to them for being a part of our West Erwin year. And in such a big, huge part. That was a great event. And it's a wonderful thing. The psalmist writes, David says, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Yes, it is. Verse 2, Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Uh, we understand that the Old Testament speaks of instrumental music as a, as a member of the church that still does not use instruments of music in the worship assembly. I believe that very strongly. I love contemporary Christian music. I love, I'm a drummer from junior high, high school, and college days. Um, love playing the guitar, all of those things. But as best I can tell and understand from reading the New Testament, uh, the New Testament never uh, authorizes the use of instrumental music and it could very easily have because the pagans did it the Jews did it. it was very common in their community but the early church just simply did not in fact history tells us makes a stronger case even than Scripture saying for hundreds of years literally hundreds of years um, that Christians did not use instrumental music in their worship uh, services and when it was being talked about the main uh, religious groups opposed it in a formal way, but finally it worked its way in. Um, that's, that's just my view. That's my conviction. Scripture says to sing uh, from our spirit, with our mind, and with our spirit, with our understanding. Certainly that's the great passage in 1 Corinthians 14 that actually is in the very context of the worship assembly. Um, but it wasn't that way in the Old Testament. And some say, well, if David could sing with the harp, why not us? Well, David also offered up animal sacrifices. David also worshiped on the Sabbath, not on the Lord's Day. Uh, David David was required to keep the law of Moses. I don't think anybody wants to go back to all of that. But instead of a more formal uh, way of worship, like they had in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're called upon to worship God um, with our hearts, with our minds every single moment, every day of our lives, and a very special part and unique part of that worship, I believe, is when the church gathers together to observe the Lord's Supper and encourage each other by worshiping and praising our God. Um, And so verse 3 continues Psalm 33, sing to him a new song, play skillfully and shout for joy, it's. <laughs> I'm sure even back at 1000 BCE, it was a difficult thing when they started. David came. I got a new. I got a new inspiration. I got this new song. I want to teach everybody. Well, um, they probably reacted similarly to the way we do. Uh, but it's a, and it's an exciting thing. Don't be shy about learning new songs. I think it's appropriate for us to do in the assembly, in the worship assembly, what is encouraging to all. I like a good mix of. Older, traditional songs that we know and love and have sung for years, but also a few of the newer ones that we've learned enough to be able to sing in the worship assembly and and be able to encourage each other doing it. I I love that balance, and I think that's what we're called to do today. Verse 4 of Psalm 33, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars, he puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him, for he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Much like many of the other psalms, the psalmist uh, praises God and centers all of his thoughts on the fact that God is the creator. It, by the word of the Lord, everything that was made was made. And we remember the words in Genesis chapter 1, and God said, let there be light. God said, let us make mankind in our own image. Um, and, and that's where we start from. Someone has told me one time that the most important verse in the Bible is Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I think you could make a pretty strong case for that. I'm not sure I would say that's the most important, but it is on my short list, as a matter of fact, of very important scriptures that you base everything else on. If you don't accept that, then Genesis 1-2 and the rest of the Bible aren't going to make much sense. And Psalm 33 starts there. By the word of the Lord, the earth and the heavens and everything else was created. Praise is fitting. It's right for us to praise the Lord. Psalmist says it fits God because he alone is worthy. And it fits us because we were created for it. That's our purpose is to praise and honor and glorify the Lord. Paul writes to the Colossians in chapter 3 verse 17 and says, Therefore in everything that you say and in everything you do, do it all. To honor Jesus Christ to the glory of the Father. Uh, generous and happy people are prone to praise. Um, while those who aren't great, grateful for uh, the creation of God, grateful for his blessings and his presence, they're prone to complain. I think if we center on the great blessings of our great God, in spite of our sinfulness and littleness, as Psalm 8 says, um, we will be prone to praise and it's right for us to do that. We need to draw our hearts from fixation on other things and become enraptured with the beauty of the Lord. Praising God helps clarify our vision, it changes our perspective, it strengthens our heart, and it produces joy upon joy, Timothy and Kathy Keller write, and I think that that's exactly the truth. Let's keep reading in Psalm 33 beginning at verse 10. The Lord foils the plans of the nations, He thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, verse 12 says, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance despite all its great strength. It cannot save. Well, we go back to that verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. And I think we use that to say our nation needs to get right with God. And I believe that. I certainly believe that. But let's not forget the rest of Psalm 33 that surrounds this great verse, verse 12. Yes, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. But David, as he writes this, is calling on everyone to recognize and acknowledge that God is our creator, Really it's a call to rely upon the Lord and to trust in the Lord and not on anything else. From a national perspective, we trust in our military, uh, we trust in our weapons, we trust in our leaders, but what the psalmist says is that no king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. This is something that is a blessing from God. And this psalm is a call to acknowledge that God alone is the creator. That God alone is the Lord and the master, Uh, whether you're talking about uh, a nation or our world or you're talking about your family or even just yourself. Blessed is the one whose God is the Lord, whether you're talking about a person or a nation and a people. So the people who sought to thwart God's salvation through Jesus only furthered it. You see those in power have always had their uh, purposes, they've always had their agenda, and that's true today as well. I'm uh, working on a lesson today that I'm going to be preaching a week from this Sunday on media, not just the media, but specifically media, things like this right here, and how it consumes us and can run our life based on the choices we make in media and also based on how we use it and how much we use it and how... um, Important it is in our lives. Uh, But that's not to say that the media (laughs) isn't uh, something that we have to be on our guard against. And that's true. Uh, Nations have their agendas. Those in power have their agendas. Right now, media has a great, powerful hold on our country. And so we have to be careful with that and be aware of that. Be aware that um, we read with our eyes open, I like to say. We watch and we listen and we. Uh, read and we do all those things with our eyes open Comparing them with this <laughs> The word of God And that's when we are truly blessed In the New Testament times they tried to put um, The disciples on guard They told them we're going to beat you and, and they threatened them And then they went away from there and continued preaching the name of Jesus And then they put, uh, put them in jail again and they beat them and they flogged them just like they said they would and they left and they praised God and they preached the word and the church grew. And then King Herod arrested uh, James the brother of John and had him killed and he arrested Peter and was going to have him killed except the Holy Spirit intervened and miraculously uh, was able to set Peter free and save his life. And guess what? The church grew. (laughs) Why? Because it's not nations and leaders that are in control. I love the Twilight Paris song, God is in control. Uh, What a great, great song, great, great songwriter. Uh, The people who seek to thwart God's will and God's way and God's plan, one of two things will happen. Either they will be defeated or uh, their actions will be used to bring about that very will (laughs) that they oppose. Um, That's the promise of this psalm. And that's why it calls on everyone, nations, families, communities, um, individuals, um, to to make the Lord God, the creator of all, as their God. Uh, We are completely dependent upon God for everything. That's what this psalm emphasizes. And so we're blessed when we acknowledge that and we trust in the Lord and rely on him Uh, For those things, it doesn't mean we don't try ourselves and do what he's calling us to do to make good things happen in our lives and in the lives of others and in the lives of our nation and our world. It's just to say that ultimately the Lord is God. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Finishing out Psalm 33 verse 18, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. Don't you love that statement in verse 20? We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Timothy and Kathy Keller write and quote someone, if you love someone, you are quick-eyed with them. I wasn't sure what they meant by that, but they go on and explain. They say, you watch intently for the merest facial expression or gesture or tone of voice that hints at a need so that you can meet it. Wonderfully, they write, God loves us like that. His all-seeing eyes alert to both what threatens us and what nurtures us. Why? Because he is the creator and sustainer. He is the God of the universe, and so he is quick-eyed with us. He knows everything that happens to us before it ever happens. Before we are ever born, he knew all of those things. Nothing surprises him. Some things disappoint him, but nothing surprises him. Uh, This psalm ends on a great note of hope, but it's not just uh, blind faith or hope or general optimism. Uh, The psalmist does not hope in God, giving him this or that. He waits in hope for the Lord himself. He's not focused on the gift, but he's focused on the giver. And so again, these last three verses of Psalm 33, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. And let's let that be our closing prayer today. Father, may your unfailing love rest upon us, upon those that we love, upon this land that we love, upon your world. May our, your unfailing love fill us and guide us and keep us because you are the creator and the, and the savior. And may we always, Father, hope and trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I hope you have a marvelous weekend, and I look forward to seeing you at church here on Sunday or online if you follow us there or uh, on this coming Tuesday as we resume our Facebook studies. God bless.